first episode of Adeptus Podcastus. I'm your host, Matt Knott, and joining me from far across the pond is Nate. How's it going, Nate? Not too bad. Yourself? Yourself? I'm doing great. It's a lovely, rainy, wet Sunday afternoon, but it's not snowing, so I'm excited. Rain's all we do, so uh, yeah, nothing new here. That's true. I suppose you guys won't see a lot of snow over there. <laughs> I'll send you some. We got plenty. <laughs> I'm good, thanks. <laughs> All right. So, uh, today being our first episode, we're going to probably keep it to less than an hour, so we're not going to keep you guys busy for too long. Um, we're going to cover some introductions of both myself and Nate, brief discussion of 40K. Uh, we're also going to discuss what we know so far from the, the news articles released by FFG to this point. We're going to do a little bit of a discussion about the alignment wheel, and uh, we'll also discuss our plans for upcoming episodes. So, introductions. I'll uh, I'll go first. Like I said, my name is Matt. Uh, Matt Knott. I live in sunny Truro, Nova Scotia, uh, which is up in Canada. Uh, I'm a father of two. I'm obviously married. Uh, I'm 35 years old, and I have been into Warmer 40,000 in one form or another for going on 22 years now. So I've got lots of experience with. The, the setting and the world and everything like that. Um, I don't actively play the miniature game any longer, sadly, much like probably most of you listening to this and who are interested in playing the card game. I got priced out of it, unfortunately, by its parent company, Games Workshop. And, uh, you know, having a wife and kids and stuff like that kind of interferes with trying to spend a lot of money on little plastic toys. Um, so I do still really enjoy the setting, though. I read the books. I read the codexes, which are the uh, the army books they release. So I'm very up on the setting for the game and very, very, very excited to be able to play a card game so I can finally game in what is one of my favorite gaming universes without uh, potentially blowing my budget and spending all my wife's money. Um, as for my history of gaming, like I said, I, uh, 40K, I started 22 years ago. It's actually what got me into gaming. I discovered, this is a long time ago, during second edition of 40K, these little pamphlets they had that briefly discussed all the armies. So I took all those out of the local comic book shop and took them home and read them all. And that shop also sold a lot of gaming stuff, so I bought various gaming products and... Ultimately, that led me into card gaming as well. Uh, I started a long time ago with a game called Spellfire, and if it's been in cardboard, I've probably played it short of a few. There's not very many card games I haven't either played and or collected. There's some I've collected and never played, and there's some I've played but never collected, but pretty much every card game that exists, I've at least dabbled in it. Uh, so I've gone on long enough. Nate, how about yourself? Um... Much like yourself, I played uh, 40k from about 10, 11 years old, you know, nothing too serious, just getting along with a couple of local mates. Um, Much like yourself as well, I got priced out of the game. Um, You know, you just, you couldn't, I was playing a lot of card games as well, especially Magic at a young age, trying to fund uh, both the Magic, the Gathering, and uh, 40k was, um, yeah, especially when you didn't have a job, the paper round only go so far. Um, did enjoy all the all the fluff, all the story behind it. You know, those guys do know how to write a good story and a, a good back setting for something that's essentially a tabletop game. Um, 
in, in regards to cards, you know, I've been playing, I played Magic since I was about 12. Um, played that up until I started uh, playing uh, Five Rings, uh, Legend of the Five Rings. And that then got me into uh, the LCGs from uh, FFG and I pretty much, I think I'd like to play, I've, I've played everything at a competitive level. Uh, apart from Cthulhu, more as a shame, but we don't get that many players over here, so it's uh, hard to get any sort of tournament scene for that going. So, um, yeah, that's, that's about me. <laughs> cool. All right, so yeah, very similar. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so what we're going to do now is just going to really briefly to kind of discuss, you know, 40k and you know what it is because it's it seems to be something I've seen pop up on pretty much every, well, all three of the boards that I tend to monitor, Board Game Geek. Card Game DB and uh, the Fantasy Flight Boards. There, there's a surprisingly large number of people who don't know what Warmer 40,000 is. I say surprising just because within my gaming communities that I've lived in throughout the years, 40K has always been a very large thing. There's a Games Workshop store down in Halifax, um, so you know it's 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 a big part of the gaming industry. I, I'm not sure if it's is or still is, but I know it was for quite a while the largest miniature tabletop company in the world. You know, it's kind of the the Dungeons and Dragons of the miniature gaming world. Everyone who plays miniature gaming has probably dabbled in Warhammer or Warhammer 40,000. So, Warhammer 40,000, as we've said a couple times, is a miniature tabletop game. It's unlike its uh, counterpart, Warhammer. It is set in a science fiction universe. Um, the 40,000 actually relates to the year. It takes place in the year 40,999 CE. So, you know, this is 38,000 years in our future. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of how brief to go with this. So, the setting itself is it's very dark and grim. It's not a place you want to necessarily live or grow up in, which makes it a great setting for a war game, obviously. Um, all the fluff you'll find is very dark and grim, and, you know, humanity is basically under siege um, from the various threats like uh, Chaos, which is very similar to back in the Warhammer universe. Chaos is essentially deities, demons from an alternate reality that's kind of parallel to ours called the warp which is a lot like in other settings hyperspace and stuff like that so it's it's used as a a form of travel to travel far long distances uh in a shorter span of time by entering this alternate universe and then you appear in the the real universe somewhere else um but the problem with that is that attracts all the the things that live in the warp like the demons or demons however you want to call it so the demons obviously are trying to you know, do what demons do and attack and kill and possess humans. Um, they do this for the most part through humans that have what are called psychers, which is people with psychic abilities. Uh, at this stage in human development or evolution, there are various types of humans that have varying degrees of psychic powers. And then there's all the other alien races. There's the Eldar and the Dark Eldar, which are the same race. They're... They're cousins, essentially. They used to be all together, but back in the year, it's around 30,000, um, the Eldar Empire destroyed itself, which is something we'll get into a bit more detail in a future episode. And doing that, the uh, they were forced to flee 
from where they used to live, which is now what's called the Eye of Terror. And um, with that, the Dark Elder live in the Webway, which is a series of tunnels within the warp, and they are dark and twisted and cruel and basically will do whatever they want, whenever they want. They have very little inhibitions and pretty much live by slaving and raiding and torturing people. And you can kind of see, you, you see them on the box for more than 5,000 Conquest, uh, the corset box. So you can kind of see, you know, they're all very covered in spikes and they got knives and whips and stuff like that. The Eldar are their, their cousins. They're the nice ones. I use that air quotes for that. Um, they live for the most part on giant ships that they call craft worlds. They're huge, huge city ships where the remnants of the elder civilization live and they use a lot of super fancy technology and uh, psychic powers and psychic technology and stuff like that. Uh, we've also got the orcs. Orcs. Orcs are orcs. They're big, they're green, they like to beat stuff up. There's really no other way to describe the orcs. The orcs in Warhammer 40,000 are the same as in Dungeons and & Dragons and Warhammer itself. Um, they like to fight. Um, rounding out the factions, we have one that's called the Tau. The Tau are one of the newer ones to Warhammer 40,000. They were not in when Nate or I would have originally started playing. They were added back during 5th or 6th edition, so a few years ago now. Um... They're very influenced by kind of like anime, so they're very, they've got a very anime-esque style to them. They use a lot of power armor, and they use big robot suits that they use to fight with and stuff like that. They're, they're a very young race. They've only been around for a few thousand years, but they have very, very fast evolution, and they went from you know throwing rocks and spears to each other to using gunpowder within a matter of a couple centuries, and then to space travel shortly after that. Um, that's all the alien ones, I believe. Yep, and chaos. So the last one is the two human ones, the space marines and the imperial guard. The imperial guard are your run-of-the-mill humans, just like you or I, except <laughs> they've been drafted into the imperial guard. And... The easiest way I can ever think of to describe the Imperial Guard and their method of war is if you've ever seen the movie Enemy at the Gates yeah. at the beginning where Jude Law is drafted into the army and they're all sent out of the train and sent charging towards Stalingrad and one guy's got the gun, the other guy's got the bullets. That's how the Imperial Guard fight. They just throw bodies at it and eventually it will go away. <laughs> they're run-of-the-mill humans, they're ordinary people, and they're they're in the military, uh, usually not necessarily by choice. Some are by choice, of course. Um, the Imperial Guard has various regiments, which are recruited from the various worlds that humanity controls. And they all have their own unique uh, style and methods of warfare and stuff that they're good at and you know specialize in, of course. And then lastly is the Space Marines, you know, the knights in shining armor. Um, space Marines are not entirely human. Uh, I'm not going to go too in-depth in that on this particular episode, but basically they've been genetically modified from around puberty. Usually when they tend to start, they've had stuff added to them to make them super powerful, super intelligent, you know, larger. And they uh, they all wear that armor that you can see them in is uh, their power armor, which is actually 
essentially not so much fused with them, but is like a second skin that they put on almost. It's it's uniquely adapted for space marines and their their physiology and stuff like that. So that's a not so brief discussion of 40k and its setting and the real brief thing about the various races that we've got within the card game. Um, some of you are probably wondering where the name for the show comes from, Adeptus Podcastus. Um, the Adeptus comes from the fact that um, within the Imperium of Man, which is the, uh, the empire that controls humanity and uh, rules a large part of the galaxy, uh, they have a huge bureaucracy and people who are part of the bureaucracy are called the Adeptus, which is essentially the priesthood of Earth. Uh, the Adeptus Terra. So if you're part of this bureaucracy, you are at least an adept. So that's where that perk comes from. And Podcastus is a kind of, well, obviously this is a podcast, but it's also a homage to what's called the Adeptus Mechanicus, which are the tech priests of Mars. Um, I don't think we've seen anything for them yet in the game. I'm hoping they get added. Um, but they are basically the guys who repair the ships and build the machines and build the guns and, you know, the bolts and everything like that. They're, uh, they worship technology and they're controlled by people outside of, well, within Mars. And, uh, so that's where the name for the show kind of comes from is kind of homage back to the Adeptus Mechanicus, which are one of my favorite things about 40 K. And I really wish they would have gotten added to the miniature game, but it never really took off. Um, Nate, you got anything you want to add? I know kind of rambled on there for a bit. Oh, no, I, th- I think you pretty much covered everything. I mean, there's little things like, uh, I think you forgot to add the coolness of guard in their tanks, uh, you know, but no, that's that's about it. I mean, if anyone wants to play guard, that's what they're, that's what they're going in for, those big tanks they can bring along to sit behind that meat shield they throw at people. So other than that, no, I think you covered everything. That's something that would be really cool if we do see it down the road is like uh, Imperial Guard get a lot of tanks and stuff. You know, you could build like an all Imperial Guard like tank army like you can in the miniature game. Because, you know, <laughs> the only way I, I, I'm the type of person I never usually want to play humans in games. I usually want to be the bad guys that are killing the humans. Although in this case, the Imperium, some can argue, is the bad guy in Warhammer 40,000. Um, but if I was to play 40k, it's all a matter of perspective. Yes, very much. Anything in 40k is a matter of perspective. Um, I would really like to see like a lot of tank cards and you know build build like an all tank army or something like that for Imperial Guard. I think that'd be kind of cool to see. All right. So what we're gonna do next is we're gonna briefly, like I said, we're gonna go over what we know so far of the game, which uh, it's it's a bit of older news now. It's been uh, three weeks, I think, since we got the announcement officially. A little bit longer, if you were aware of the uh, the leak that came through. They kind of got <laughs> pre-spoiled accidentally. The web guys clicked a button, and people took some uh, screenshots, or you could use your Google cache to see what was revealed. But after that, they revealed the full thing. So first, we'll go to the, uh, the article that was released back in March. Uh... Nothing too, too fancy at the beginning. Obviously, we can see the artwork on the box, which I'll say this about FFG. Everything they do, the artwork is always stunning. Half the time, it's worth collecting these things just for the artwork. Like, the box artwork on this, there's so much going on that we could talk about it forever. But 
I, I really like what they did with the box, and I'm looking forward to being able to seeing a bit closer up when I've got it in my hands in a few months. But, like, huh. I really like that you can see, like, the Thunderhawk gunships kind of in the background, and they're shooting at the Raiders, and then you can see some guys dropping out of the Dark Elder Raider ship. And uh, my favorite part, though, is I don't know if people probably don't know what a dreadnought is necessarily, but dreadnoughts are basically space marines that have been critically injured and they're entombed in these giant robot machines that they can control and become their body uh, and keeps them alive. But this dreadnought's got a dark Eldar and the dark Eldar's like struggling and he's got him in his power claw and is basically about to go crush. thought that was a particularly cool mm-hmm. little touch on the box art. Goes into a brief little discussion uh, of the flavor. We're in uh, the setting for this particular is in the Ultima segmentum. Um, that's the Imperium divides the galaxy up into various segments. That's the largest one. It's also the furthest one from Earth. And we're in the Traxxas sector of the Ultima segmentum, which I think is a sector that's strictly made up for this game because I don't recall reading about it before. But they've done the same thing in FFG's. Uh, role-playing games for 40k they've added sectors to kind of give them their own little area to play around in uh after that we've got a bit of a close-up of the box art for the space marines it's the boys in blue the ultramarines uh, which are my least favorite space marines chapter uh some people do but I think a reason, and I know we've just, I, this has been discussed somewhere on one of the boards recently, and I think uh, our mutual friend Richard and I were talking about it at one point too. The reason you'll see Ultramarines not liked very much is because they're the least unique of the Space Marine chapters. A lot of Space Marine chapters are very unique and interesting. They have like crazy cultures or, you know, psychic powers or, you know, they grow huge fangs because they're related to wolves almost and stuff like that. And Ultramarines are very run-of-the-mill. They're your standard that all other chapters are kind of weighed against. So I guess they're a good choice for uh, the first box. They 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 definitely see a lot of uh, focus in anything to do with 40k. So I'm not really that surprised to see them being the first of what we see from the Space Marines, which I'll continue to call them the Boys in Blue. After that, we get to see some cards. So. What we can see is it looks like we, uh, yeah, we've got a card from every, all seven of the factions that we're going to see. We've got a Tau Fire Warrior Strike Team, which we can only see its cost is four, its attack is one, and its health or damage capacity is five. So it's it's definitely a, a beefy little unit. Uh, next, we've got the Space Marine card Exterminatists. Um, all we can see on that is its cost is three, and uh, it's got the the bold text that it's a tactic. Um, so it, it it's some type of event card. Um, we don't really know what it does, but based on what <laughs> what, 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 it, what it's called and uh, the the artwork, sort of. In uh, what that's going to be doing. Yeah, because Exterminatus is a, a well-known thing in 40k where uh, basically when the Imperium has a problem they just can't solve and no matter how many bodies they throw at it they just blow up the planet. So you can kind of see that's what's going on here because you can see that it's like the little shit you can barely see. You can see the silhouette of the ship against the, the sun 
and then you know the the big fiery explosion underneath from like the ultimate uh, nuclear bomb. <laughs> hey, did you want to cover some of the cards here in the card fan? You... <clears throat> yeah, I can do. Um, the next card we can see is uh, Captain Marcus. He's uh, an Imperial Guard uh, unit. He's a soldier officer, and I can't quite make out that last word. Bostroyan. They're one of the Imperial Guard regiments. They're a newer one. Uh, are they the oh, similar? Well, from the look of him, he looks very uh, Russian-esque, sort of uh, that sort of type of a planet, a cold uh, bit of planet. I could be wrong. Yeah, they're from a planet called Vostroya that uh, almost went heretic a while ago and is now... They always give their firstborn child to the Imperial Guard. So they're called the Australian firstborn in the uh, the 40k Imperial Guard army. Sound like nice people. Um, and yeah, and it just says uh, sacrifice. I'm assuming that's the Imperial Guard symbol unit. But after that, we're not really sure what his, uh, what his action is going to be doing. I'm sure it's quite good. Um... After that, we have uh, the Ayaden Wraithguard. Am I pronouncing that right? Ayaden? Ayaden? I never know if it's Ayandin or Ayandin. But it's 40k, so sometimes it's harder to pronounce some of these. <laughs> uh, again, we have no real stats for those, but, you know, the Wraithguard, they're probably difficult to kill and deal out a lot of damage. Um, uh, after that, we have the Splintered Path Acolyte, which is pretty much the first card you can see quite clearly he um, has an attack of one and uh, two hit points he's a cultist and zinch uh, and has an interrupt when you deploy a no that's d-a-d-a-e-m i believe so i'm gonna go out on a limb and probably say that's that's demon uh unit sacrifices unit to reduce it's something by two now I would yeah, assume that something is cost. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that's cost by two, which is, you know, chaos dropping uh, demon units. It's not something new if you've played 40k and sacrificing people to get there quicker. Again, it's not something new, so uh seems to fit right in with their theme. It's also very flavorful, I think, because, you know, you see this done in the setting where cultists of any of the chaos gods will... You know, sacrifice themselves or sacrifice each other to bring in a daemon of some sort. Um, one thing, just to correct you, he actually has one health. All right, did I? Oh, sorry. That's okay. <laughs> uh, I'll do the next one just because it's from yep. my favorite uh, race in 40k. So this one is we are well, it's a dark elder unit because it's purple and it's a flying on one of the dark elder hellion things. So this is Kith's. Uh, I'm going to assume that says Chimera Masters, uh, just because of what's running underneath his feet. Looks like a big old pack of Chimera, which are these dogs, essentially, for Dark Elder. So he's two cost. He's got one hammer. There's some debate as to what the hammer is, but some people believe it's the uh, the command icons that uh, are discussed about the game's mechanics. He's one damage capacity, or sorry, two damage capacity. He does one damage when he attacks. He is a warrior, beastmaster, witch. Uh, he has a reaction. After this unit enters play, and then we can't see, and it says, add Chimera token into play at the same planet. 
So I would assume the enters play says put or play or something like that. Maybe put into yeah. play a Chimera token. So we know from the game's box description there's going to be token units in this. So the Chimeras are obviously one of those tokens. So Dark Elder look like they might have at least a partial theme where they bring in packs of Chimera. Uh, we don't know what the Chimera themselves look like, so it's hard to say right now how good or bad that might be. Lastly, but certainly not least, is the one card that we can see absolutely everything. This is the Burna Boys. They are a four-cost orc unit with one hammer. They have five attack and three health, so they are a pretty strong unit. They are Warrior Boys. Reaction, after this unit declares an attack against an enemy unit, deal one damage to a different enemy unit at the same planet, which makes complete sense when you consider the fact that the Burna Boys are essentially the orcs with flamethrowers, which you can tell quite easily from the artwork there. So they have basically a, a ranged attack that hits multiple units because you know they're using their flamethrowers. So overall, some very cool cards. Uh, it's interesting what they chose to show us here because it's a pretty different spread. Uh, some things here really excite the fanboy in me, like the Yandin Wraith Guard. I've always really liked about the Eldar, their uh, their ability to bring the souls of their dead and place them in the mechanical bodies that they need, like the Wraith Guards and the Wraith Knights and all those. So that's another thing that'll be interesting to see as the game develops, how much of that we see. You know, if Sunday we could see like an entire army that's, you know, Wraith Guard and Wraith Knights. Um... So then it goes to a brief discussion a bit about uh, how the game works, what your goal is. Essentially, your goal in the game is to capture planets. Uh, we know from reading this that you can only ever capture the first planet. There's going to be multiple planets in play at one time that you can send your units to by deploying them, a.k.a. buying them and placing them there. Um, so it, it's got a, uh, a sample layout here where we can see uh, five planets set up, which are very similar to, for those who know of it, the uh, the Call of Cthulhu living card game uses a similar setup, but it has three stories. This is similar in that regard, in that you're contesting various things. And then we've got it's Space Marines versus Orcs. Um, not really enough here to really see or read. Uh, some of these cards we do see later on, uh, like... Uh, um, on the Space Marine side, on the far right, we've got Captain Cato Sicarius, who is the uh, Space Marine Warlord. Cato uh, is the uh, the current Black Library Ultramarine fan boy crush. Um, he's in like a lot of novels. He's the their big character right now that seems to get a lot of press time. He was in the not the most recent, but the edition before that for 40k, the miniature games, stuff like that. So he's it's quite popular. Uh, then we've got another Space Marine unit. Can't really tell what it is. He's uh, he's exhausted, showing he's been used. Uh, that means he's been turned sideways, or for those of you familiar with magic, tapped. And all the way down at the end, we have what excited me. We can't really tell what it says. Uh, it looks like it's got a four cost and then three and three. But judging by its color scheme... It looks like it's Blood Angels. 
So that's exciting because that means we're not going to see just Ultramarines for Space Marines. We're going to see at least some cards from the other chapters. Blood Angels are one of the more unique ones, uh, just with their background and their history and uh, stuff like that. Um, it looks like they're Assault Marines because it looks like the guy in the front has uh, the jetpack on, which is what Assault Marines wear. They use them to jump into battle and then cut things apart with their swords. Assault Marines are close combat specialists. On the orc side, it's really hard to make out any of this. We know in the middle we've got the orc warlord because we see him later, and then we've got some other orc cards. And uh, we can also see on here the damage tokens, which are these black circles with flaming red skulls, which look quite cool. <laughs> uh, anything you want to say about any of that, Nate? Or did I... <clears throat> no, no, I think you covered it all. I do like the uh, obviously I play Cthulhu, I enjoy Cthulhu. So um, the, the the contesting and how you, by the look of it, how you want to split your resources, you know, it brings that resource management into it, you know. So I, I do like the look of it, indeed. Yeah, I really like the uh, the the thought of it because it's going to be interesting. You know, you can only capture that first planet, but. Later on, there might be plans coming up that's first that you're like, I really want to get that one. So do I want to start building up there now, or do I want to make sure you know my opponent doesn't take it? So it's it's interesting what we can see already, just gleaning from it, the tactics and the strategy we're going to, have to use in this game, which I really like that. Mm -hmm. Should make it uh, interesting. It'll be particularly interesting when we know what all the plans do, because we know some of the plans have well. As far as we can tell, all the plants have some sort of a special ability, um, just from what we've seen. But it'll be interesting to see what they all do, because there might be some that are, you know, definitely much more powerful. And again, you got to be watching uh, on each of the plants. You know, it's got those uh, the icons, and you need to match three like icons. So you know, you need three blue or three green or three red. So again, something to consider. You know, do you want a plant that only has one, or you want one that has two? Lots of things to consider, and we don't even know how to play the game yet. I think that that'll come into it, uh, you know, not just stuff you're going for, obviously, to deny enemies as well from getting the things they want. I think that obviously yeah. that's part of the tactics. Definitely sounds like there'll be a lot of things to consider, which is good. It gives the, it gives the game more depth and stuff, so that's that's nice to see. Uh, underneath that, we've got a little bit more about the game. Uh, this is where it mentions the command struggle, which, again, the debate that we've had most people seem to think that that's those hammers because no one really knows what else those could be. So those are probably the command icons. Um, winning the command struggle gets you the uh, the card draw and the resources, which are the numbers that you can see on each of the cards. So you get extra stuff by taking those plants. Underneath that, we've got a couple more cards, uh, four more cards to be precise. Nate, I'll let you give those a brief rundown. Okay, uh, the first one we have is the Tactical Squad. I'm not really sure what that says at the end. Card Dennis. Um, it's a two cost uh, unit. It's got uh, one attack and three hit points with one hammer. It's a soldier, and I'm going to say the Ultramarine. Uh, area effect bracket one. And then it goes on to say when this. I'm going to assume that's unit. And then uh, may instead deal its area effects to each enemy unit on this planet. Which straight away uh, gives you a bit more 
instead of uh, hitting each other, you know, for attack, for attack, this brings like another level of depth to tactics at, at each battle, I think, so. Yeah, I don't see any reason why, sorry, I just, I don't see any reason why you would ever want to use just his normal attack and not his area effect. Like, anybody uh, with area effect? The, 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 there may be some things that punish you for damaging things that you may want to leave, you know, you may not want to damage, but other than that, I can't see why you would never just want to hit everything on your, uh, on that planet. So... Um, the next thing we have is a the Soul Grinder, which is a, a Chaos unit. It's a six-cost uh, army. It has two of the hammers, four attack, and six hit points. It's a Demon War Engine. I'm not sure what that last word says. If you click right above, there's actually a, a link to Soul Grinder, which pops up a little window that has the entire card close up. Oh, so it's Elite. Sorry. Uh, reaction, after you win a command struggle at this planet, your opponent must sacrifice a non-warlord unit at the same planet as Fable, which seems to me to be quite a powerful effect. Anything that is non-targeted, which would you know, be indicated by sacrifice usually, is usually quite a powerful effect. So, Yeah, that's a, a very strong unit, which it should be being a soul grinder. It's also very expensive. <laughs> I mean, we don't know how much... You're gonna see for resources, but six cost in any card game I've ever played is uh, a pretty hefty investment on a turn. Well, if you, if, you, if we take into account what we've seen so far, being from two range into four, you know, six is obviously quite a large number. So uh, yeah, I could, I could, I could in, it's probably going to be a quite a large investment. But hey, you get you get a lot of return for that investment, so. Uh, not, not bad at all. And we could also sacrifice that splintered uh, path acolyte to reduce his cost by two, so you know, take him down to four. <laughs> yeah, that's when uh, chaos will get interesting when you're pushing humans like that onto the table. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, for you for a long game or a short game, as it were. <laughs> um, next we have the Cabalite Strike Force. It's a two-cost Dark Eldar unit. It has two attack and two hit points. Again area effects. Uh, when this unit attacks, it may instead deal its area effect of damage to each enemy unit on this planet. So yeah, that clarifies from earlier on that it does hit every enemy unit on the planet. You know, for two costs, that's that's not shabby. Obviously, if there's, a, there's only a single unit, you may want to hit it for the two when, uh, when you attack. So. It's well a well-costed unit from, uh, from what I've seen so far. Yeah, he seems pretty good. Um, I noticed that he's got area effect one and then attack two. So you know, like you said, you might, depending on how many opposing units you got, it might be better sometimes to use his regular attack as opposed to his area effect. So it'll be interesting yeah. to see if we see a lot of that. You know, like normal attack four, area effect three, or something like that. You know, well, yeah, giving giving the options basically to to, to do what's obviously more advantageous at, at that time of play. I think so. Um, do you want to have, go ahead and do the last one? Sure. So uh, We have the gun drones, a two-cost tower unit. It's a drone. We don't know its stats. Um, we've got may deploy this card as a drone something with the text attached to 
something unit, attach unit gains area, and we're going to assume it's effect two, which is, well, well, that's the first thing I've seen with area effect two, so it can never be bad. And we, we know that the Tau use these, uh, these drones to lay down a massive amount of fire, so would be uh, would be in keeping anyway. Seems like a good card. <laughs> yeah, area effect two sounds like it could be very powerful because you know even if your opponent only got two units, now you're doing four damage. Attaches to a guy that normally does one. Also, that's a pretty good unit. It's interesting that it notes that you may deploy this as a drone. I would assume that says attachment because after that says attach, yeah. and we can see it says meant, so I would assume attachment. Maybe enhancement, but it's probably attachment. Um, I, so that makes me think this maybe this is a unit that you can play or play as the attachment. So you know, it's it's interesting that you can play as a unit separately or as the attachment. And uh, I'm curious to see its stats to see how much of a trade-off it is making an attachment on something else as opposed to a unit by itself. Yeah. Uh, again, it just gives you that little flexibility. I think card ideas like that are really, really innovative. To you know, it gives you that ability to say, you know, do I need a unit, or would I like to make a, a unit better than it currently is? So, yeah, I, I do like the idea behind that. Yeah, I agree. I'm not a fan of the towel myself, but I do have a buddy who, when we played 40k miniature game a couple years ago, when we all kind of <clears> gave it its last hurrah, he's a huge towel fan, so I know he'll be quite excited about that and uh, having all the, the drones and whatnot. Um, so next it discusses a little bit about how damage works. Uh, you choose who you damage, which is always good. Uh, it's got a nice piece of artwork here with uh, some Eldar Dire Avengers coming out of a, a warp gate. And then it goes to a bit more discussion about uh, the various planets. So it's got uh, Two planets that you can click on to kind of get a, a good close-up of them. One, the first one's a, a, a Loweth. I assume it's some sort of a Eloith. Yeah. yeah, sure. We're both right. <laughs> I'm gonna assume it's some sort of an Elder planet because it sounds very Elder-esque with its naming. Uh, so its battle ability, I'm not really sure how big a fan I am of this, but you know, search is never a bad thing. So it says, search the top three cards of your deck for a card, add it to your hand, and place remaining cards on the bottom of your deck in any order. So you know, it can help you get out an extra card, which is definitely always handy. Uh, this one is very focused around cards because it's a uh, it's command struggle thing. Is you get two extra cards. It's only got one one uh, planet icon, which is the, the blue hammer, uh, which is apparently representing tech. Uh, the next planet. Okay, so this planet here I think is much more interesting. Uh, obviously this one is going to be a bit more of a fight over, Iridial. Uh, interesting piece of artwork here. It's obviously some sort of a tech priest planet. It's got a titan in the background with, I don't know, molten lava pouring out of it or something. I'm not sure what's going on there. But it's got all three icons. You only get one card for the command struggle, and its battle abilities remove all damage from a target unit. And it's interesting it says target unit. Now, we don't really know precisely what's all covered by a unit. At least I don't think we've seen it. But I'm wondering if this could be used on, like, your warlord. 
let's say your warlord's down to like one or two health. Well, you get this battle ability, all of a sudden you're healing your warlord for all his damage and, you know, potentially putting your opponent back quite a bit because we know that, you know, when your warlord dies, that's it. So yeah. that well, that right I mean, there could I, be game changing. I think if you see if you look up to Captain Marcus, he in his actual text he actually specifies in, in his uh, action non warlord unit. Now, you know, I, I obviously I don't know if it's going to be uh, differentiation, but obviously when this just says unit, I would assume that you can you know, target your your warlord unit as it were. So this seems like a pretty powerful effect if. Um, if your warlord's going to be taking a lot of damage, obviously from from the enemy wanting to kill him and you know win by killing by killing your warlord, being able to remove all that damage is worked so hard to get on is going to be a massive uh, massive tempo advantage, I would assume. For sure, and it also could be useful for uh, keeping your warlord's ability on because we know from uh, the previous here. So really, we might as well jump. Uh, well, we won't jump yet. We've got one more planet. Um, we know from reading further in though that. Uh, when your warlord flips to what's called their, uh, I think they call it their bloodied side, um, they lose their special ability. And the few special abilities we've seen are quite powerful, but we'll get on that when we get down to the warlords. Um, the last planet is Osus 4. It's the last one we can kind of click on and blow up here. Uh, it's got the green symbol, which uh, I assume is... I don't know, either material or strong point, I guess. We're not really sure. Um, it's got some interesting artwork. It's got some tribal-looking guys attacking this big monster with spikes, and there's like a volcano in the background. It's it's a very interesting picture. I'd really like to see that artwork just by itself, uh, just myself personally. Um, you get zero cards. It's got a battle ability. You take one. Uh, I assume that's the resource symbol. Uh, I can't really tell what it is. Take one resource from your opponent, and it gains you two resources for winning command struggles. So this one is kind of the the flip of uh, a Loath there, where this one's more resource as opposed to card-focused. But, I mean, two, potentially three extra resources is a decent swing, for sure. So, again, not a bad planet, and, you know, if it's the last one you need, who cares? It's... If you only need green, go for it. Um, I think that's really all else we can see. Next, and I know I pointed this out somewhere on one of the various discussions we had, but so underneath all that, it's got pictures of just, uh, well, it's Captain Cato Securius here, and then beside him is this chaos sorcerer-looking dude. And I'm pretty sure, and I know, like I said, I posted this somewhere, that that is the Chaos Warlord. Um, the reason I'm saying that is because he's pictured right beside the Space Ring Warlord. We know Kato's their Warlord because his card is right below him. And if you click on his image of the Chaos Sorcerer and just view just the image, his name is Zarathur. Now, I had no idea who that was, but I uh, did a quick Google over on the, the 40k Wikia and Lexicanum, and he's apparently a, a uh, Chaos Sorcerer from the Thousand Suns who... Uh, I can't remember what the detail was, but he's a he is a known sorcerer within 40k lore. So I definitely think he's probably who we'll be seeing for our first Chaos Warlord. So it's interesting that they chose to go with a sorcerer. Personally, I was hoping for somebody from Corn, 
Corn's uh, the blood god. He's all about war and fighting and stuff, and he's my favorite of the four chaos gods. But uh, he's a. I'll I'll give them credit again for their artwork. Zarathur's artwork is amazing. There's such intricate detail in his armor and his sword with the uh, the force lightning and stuff. It's definitely very impressive. Um, so we'll scroll a little bit further down, and we've got our first two warlords that we can actually see their details and you know a bit of discussion about what the warlords are. Um, so the first one here is the boy in blue, Captain Cato Sicarius. Obviously he's unique, which is why he's got the little skull in front of his name. I don't see how a warlord couldn't be unique, but I suppose if they ever make him a unit too, you won't be able to play both. He's a soldier, ultramarines, reaction. After an enemy unit at this planet is destroyed, gain one resource. And there's note that there's no limit on this. So you kill three or four units at his planet, you just gain three or four resources. That, to me, is amazing. Uh, he's got two attacks, six health, and then he's got underneath that seven and seven, which means he uh, begins the game with seven resources and seven cards. Uh, Nate, what are your thoughts on uh, Mr. Boy in Blue here? Um, I mean, his ability strikes me as one that kind of snowballs you into a victory where the more stuff you kill, the more money you get to buy more stuff that kills stuff. So, yeah, he seems like a very, you know, if you let his ability get out of hand, it's going to it's gonna ruin your, your, ruin your day sort of thing. So, I don't know how powerful it is because we don't know how the resources work, but it would, it would seem that that's, uh, that's a cool ability at the very least. Yeah, I think he's one that if my opponent was playing, I'd want to get him flipped as soon as possible, not just because it gets me closer to winning by killing the Warlord, but because it shuts that off, which shuts down yeah. the resources. Because potentially, again, we don't know very much, you could build a deck using him focused on gaining those extra resources to help you play more things down the road. If all of a sudden your supply chain shut off, well, now you're in trouble. So Yeah, yeah I think... I think teamed up with stuff like uh, if you send something with an area effect where he is as well and you can, you know, kill maybe three, four units in one one attack and then suddenly you've got four resources, you know, that, that could be massive. Yeah, for sure. Uh, next we've got the, the Orc Warlord, Nazdreg. Uh, Nazdreg is another well-known special character from uh, 40k history. I'm pretty sure he's been around since when I started. I think he was in the second edition Orc Codex, so he's been around for a long time. Uh, he's a Bad Moon, which is one of the Orc clans. Uh, you can tell that because, well, he's wearing yellow, which is their color, and he's also got the the creepy-looking moon on his backpack there on his uh, his armor. So Nazdreg is a warrior, and he's a war boss. Again, he's unique. Each other unit you control this planet gains Brutal. And Brutal means each unit with Brutal gets plus one attack for each damage on it. Two attacks, seven uh, hit points, and again, seven cards, seven resources, which I'm going to go out on a limb and assume that we'll probably see seven and seven across the board, at least in the core set, uh, similar to what we saw back in, uh, for those that play at Netrunner, uh, most of the identities in Netrunner in the beginning were pretty much all very unilateral in their stats and whatnot. Um, brutal sounds well. Brutal. Uh, that could get really out of hand. I'm going to assume a lot of the orc units will be very high in hit points, similar to like the uh, 
Well, the Burner Boys weren't particularly high. They have three, but, you know, even with three, takes a damage or two damage, all of a sudden your Burner Boys is doing, going from five to six and seven damage. One unit hitting for seven is probably going to knock out pretty much your any of your opponent's warlords, so you're going to want to stay out of that guy's way. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Brutal, again, could be something that gets really out of hand. It, it's... It's interesting seeing how crazy both of these guys' abilities can be in different ways. Uh, but yeah, I, I think we should probably assume that the Warlord abilities overall will be very, very powerful effects, which they should be since they are essentially the centerpiece of your, your deck and your army. Uh, Nate, any thoughts on Nasdrag here? Um, I mean, I'm just thanking to God that it says each other unit rather than each unit, so he doesn't actually get affected by his own ability, which is good because if you, you know if he's sitting on five damage, yeah, you nearly lost your guy, but he's hitting then for seven damage, which is I'm assuming he's going to come keen. So uh, small mercies. Uh, I, I'm not a I'm not an orc fan, but you know you're not going to want to see this guy on the other side of the table either. So. No, he he's very orky though, so it's a it's a good effect for orcs having brutal. I definitely think that's it's a, it's a similar sort of effect that uh, the orcs had in uh, Warhammer Invasions. They had a similar sort of mechanic in that, so I think they've taken you know that across to the space orcs, as it were. Yeah, that makes sense. I haven't played Invasion in a very long time, so honestly, I don't remember that. But I remember they were very powerful and very hard to deal with in the early early days when I did play. Um, so what else we got here? We've got uh, a nice piece of Tau artwork. Uh, this is uh, kind of shows you that anime influence I was talking about earlier. We've got a couple Tau fire warriors here and uh, some sort of a tower, and they're shooting something, being shot at back. Uh, next, below all that, we've got the alignment wheel, which we're going to discuss a little bit later. It shows all seven factions as well as the faction symbols, which you can see on the cards. And then we'll move on to the description page. So the description page in some ways echoes what we've already seen here. Uh, it's got another close-up of the artwork, this time from the Dark Elder perspective, which is kind of cool to see. And as uh, my current desktop background. Uh, it again discusses the planets, the same ones we already saw close up. Uh, it's got the... Uh, this I thought was a really cool effect, uh, or little thing we're going to be getting. There's a, a server skull dial, in, which indicates the third planet, because it's got a three where it's, well, eyeball should be. Um, servo skulls are used by the Imperium as, uh, like, message bots and video recorders and stuff. They're essentially the skulls of favored servants of the Imperium who have been blessed in death by having their skull taken out and shined up and had robot parts and little jets added to it so it can fly around doing stuff. Because, uh, you know, apparently that's a good thing to happen. <laughs> a lot of what the Imperium does kind of makes me shake my head. But it, it's a cool little thing that we're going to get this little dial. Um, it reminds me very much of the Death Star dial, obviously, so I'm assuming it's going to be very similar to that. You know, you just kind of flick through it to get to the number you want. Um, we do get to see another planet... Uh, Beside the servo skull, Barlas. Do you want to cover that one, Nate? Yep. Uh, so Barlas, it um, it has uh, two cards and zero uh, resources. With the battle, discard one card at random from your opponent's hand. So again, it's another card advantage 
centered planet. Um, the artwork is. Hmm. I've got the spies in the background. It looks like the Death Star in the background, uh, believe it or not. Um, with a, sh- a ship sort of flying over a. I'm not sure if that's a human city or. Yeah, that looks like a human city. Yeah. Probably a hive city or something, because that's a, definitely a human ship with the uh, the gothic battlements and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the moon in the background, but you could be right. That's no moon. It could be the Death Star. <laughs> I think it's the moon on top of the other moon that makes it look like the Death Star, so that, that did make me chuckle. <laughs> oh, I see what you're saying. Huh. I didn't even notice that. You're right. It's a... <laughs> It's a moon on top of like looks like another moon or maybe a gas giant or something. Yeah. Interesting. The artwork is just phenomenal. Like. Yeah, they've, they've gone to town on the artwork, which is you know, all credit to them. Yeah. You're gonna spend all the time looking and playing at these cards. You wanna be looking at something pretty. So. For sure. Um. Next, we've got the same four cards that uh, we already talked about earlier. Uh, it goes into a little discussion uh, kind of briefly about the seven factions, and again, we see their faction symbols. We do get to see another card, though, which I think is another hint. Um, the reason I say it is because if you click on the card and blow it up, so this is Starbane's Council. Now, Starbane, I googled him again. Uh, there's a an elder farseer called Starbane, who's uh, known from deciding to do some stupid attacks and getting his men all slaughtered by the evil undead robot Necrons. Um, so I think this is a hint of who we'll see for the Eldar Warlord will be Starbane. Um, so this is Starbane's council, which comes in his, uh, what they call his signature squad, um, which we can tell because there's, there's a yellow wheel icon thing above the faction symbol. And it's also got... A unique number on the side that's kind of going uh, vertically as opposed to horizontally. It's got 006 in bold, which we can tell from the other warlords we've seen is the the warlord's number. And then this is card 5 of 9. So the warlord is card 1 and then he comes with 8 cards that come with him. So it's it's similar in a way to the, the set mechanic from Star Wars in that you pick this warlord uh the warlords remind me a lot of like the uh the heroes from world of warcraft the card game or from uh android netrunner uh the the lcg in that you know you kind of pick a a character with a unique power and build a deck with them but then he comes with these eight other cards uh that you kind of are the first cards in your deck so three cost, uh, one hammer, so command icon, we're assuming. Three attack, four hit points. It's Psyker, a Latok. A Latok is one of the Eldar craft worlds. This unit gets plus two attack while exhausting it, while attacking an exhausted unit. So, you know, if your opponent was to swing at your first with one of their guys, this guy's going to be able to swing back at that unit for five. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's, that's a, quite the attack for a an Eldar Psyker. At least I thought that was quite powerful for them. Uh, <laughs> Nate, any thoughts here on our Eldar? No, no. Just like I say, when is um, you know, it's, it's a static fate rather than a, you know a response or anything. So that um, for a three cost unit seems seems fairly beefy numbers. So uh, yeah, I really do like this guy. Yeah, and with four hit points, I think he should be able to hopefully survive long enough. He'll swing back four or five. 
and I mean hitting anything else for five from what we've seen by and large is a good chunk if not an outright kill of any other units we've seen well I mean if, if he's if not if he's taking the hits and he's there with your warlord and they're you know they're, they're doing their job as the warlord's uh, bodyguard by taking those hits before he gets it so that you know they're doing their job so yep alright so again we've got the alignment wheel which we're going to come right back to um, below that we've got Similar to what we saw on the article page, we've got a picture of Nazdrig outside of his card frame, so it's just his artwork. And then beside him is Rambo. I mean, I'm sorry, that's not Rambo. Um, this is, if you click on it and open just the artwork, this is Colonel Straken. Colonel Straken is, again, a well-known special character from Warhammer 40,000. Um, he's for the Imperial Guard. He's part of what's called the Catechin Unit Regiment. Um, Catacans come from a jungle planet, which is essentially Rambo made into a planet. And you can kind of tell right here that that's what his style is. The planet's a jungle death world. It's full of dangerous plants and animals and stuff. Um, so it reminds me of a uh, Predator, the film. Basically. Yes. Arnold versus the Predator. Very much so. Remind me of. Yeah. So... Again, I'm going to assume that that's going to be our Imperial Guard Warlord we're going to see because he's pictured right beside the Orc Warlord. We, I have no way to verify that or not other than the fact that he's close to the section that discusses Warlords, just like Zarathir over in the article. So we, we know pretty much all the Warlords at this point, uh, or we can guess them, except for the Dark Elder. We don't really know anything about them. We haven't really seen much for Dark Elder cards other than the Kabbalite and those uh, Chimera bringing out guys. And then the Tau, we've seen the gun drone, and I don't think we've seen anything oh, else for Tau. I think we've seen the fire... Oh, right, the, yeah. the, the, the strike team. Yeah. That we can just barely make up. But again, no real hints as to what or who their warlord will be, but it's pretty safe to say, I would assume, that it's going to be some sort of a a known, either in the lore or in the, the game, the miniature game itself, a special character. So kind of narrows down the choices a little bit. Because Tau don't have that many special characters as opposed to some of the older factions like the Space Marines. So right below that we get to see a picture of the, the signature squad, the set for the Space Marine Warlord. So we can see uh, Cato Securius, who we've already covered. We can see his unit that comes with them. Securius is chosen. All we can really tell is that they're a three-cost unit that's obviously Ultramarines. Uh, there's a card that says the Fury of Securius, which is some sort of event. We have no idea what it does. Uh, there's the Talisarian Tempest Blade. Talisar, if I'm not mistaken, is one of the planets in the uh, the Ultramarines domain. And I think it might be Cato's homeworld, but I'm not sure. So it's got it's a relic weapon. It says, uh, in bold, you can see the words Lick. I'm going to assume that says Relic per player. Now, I remember in Warhammer Invasion with Relics, I think that's what they were called, you can only have one in play per player. So I'm going to assume, again, going on a limb, that, that says the same thing. It means one Relic per player. So if you, you have this Talisar and Tempest Blade Relic out, you can't play any other Relics. You can have them in your deck, you just can't play them. So that's, that's very similar to what we saw in uh, Warhammer Invasion. Underneath that it says unique unit. I don't know what that's referring to. And then it says gets plus one attack and gains. Uh, 
we don't know. And then it says shield cards cannot be used, and then it is attacking. Uh, so we don't really know very much about what it does, but it's it's a one-cost relic, which gives plus one attack. So that's really all we can t- tell 100% for sure on that. Um, the one card we can see a decent amount for here is it says Kato's Stronghold, which is a... Uh, uh, can't really tell what kind of card it says. I'm thinking that says support or something like that. Uh, it's two cost location, which has a reaction after an enemy unit is destroyed. Uh, then it's covered up by Kato. Exhaust is support to ready a target. I'm going to. That's the Space Marine symbol because we can see on their all their cards unit and the same plant. So I'm going to assume it says after an enemy unit is destroyed, exhaust is support to ready a target Space Marine unit at the same planet. So. That, I think, is potentially very powerful because it allows you to use a unit and hit again. Yeah, if you, if you imagine, you know, again, something that's got um, area effects with this card, that, that could make some really interesting combinations. And if you've got Captain Kato there on that planet, you know, you, you, you can there, guys. You're getting some uh, resources back. It uh, seems like a good place to be. Yeah, for sure. Area effects would be very brutal being able to ready and then reuse their area effect, you know, multiple times potentially, because that's a a huge, I mean, especially with that, that one unit we've seen, Tactical Squad card, whatever it says there. Um, yeah. It only hits for one, but again, he's got three units, hits for one, ready him, hit for one more. He's on six damage by himself. Yeah, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad you have to exhaust it, and it's... Uh... Not just repeatable, because that could get out of hand very quickly. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if you can have more than one of those in play, but we don't really know how many quantity we get. I mean, we can we know there's eight cards, and here's four right here. So, you know, do you get four different ones, or do you get some sort of combination of them? You know, do you get two and two, or two and three, or again? And that could change between uh, warlords or factions and whatnot. So, again, something else we don't know yet we can only guess at this point um and that brings us to the end so you know we do hopefully we helped you guys you know learn something i know everyone's probably well like myself has read these articles multiple multiple times just kind of trying to glean everything they can um now i want to go back and do a brief discussion about the alignment wheel um for a game that's very newly announced not even released we're going to assume it's at least several months out my assumption is going to be it's going to be a Gen Con release in uh, uh, August, just because you know that's when gaming companies tend to try to release their new stuff. Uh, that's when Netrunner got released, actually, back in 2013 too. So it'll be good to see uh, FFG get a new LCG out again at Gen Con. So you know we've got a few months to go, but we've already got some controversy with the game, which kind of makes me laugh. So it's all to do with this alignment wheel. Nate, I don't know how many threads you've read about this, but there's been multiple, multiple threads about some of the combinations on the wheel, particularly focused on Eldar, Dark Elder, Chaos, Dark Elder, and Orc, Imperial Guard. The other ones, for the most part, don't really raise that many eyebrows. Some people think the Eldar and Tau should be switched, which to me doesn't make sense because then you got to switch the Dark Eldar too. Um... And, you know, Space Marines are just so likely to ally with Tau if they are the Eldar, if you ask me, which is not that much. So Space Marines and Imperial Guard can ally together. 
Um, and Space Ranger calls Alawit out. Now, Space Ranger and Power Guard obviously makes sense. They're both, well, to more or lesser degrees, humans. Um, they fight for the same government, the same empire. So that makes complete sense to me. Uh, the Tau and Space Marines, you know, if it's a matter of fighting against Chaos or Tyranids or Necrons, which aren't in the game, and I know some of you are upset by that, I'm sure we'll see them eventually, especially the Tyranids. I can't see them not putting the Tyranids in this game. Okay. Tyranids, for those who don't know, go watch Aliens 1, 2, 3, or Resurrection, or Aliens vs. Predator. The Aliens are Tyranids. They're big bugs that eat things and they come from another galaxy and they're hell-bent on eating everything in the galaxy and making everything into them. There's not really a lot of subtlety to Tyranids. But <laughs> I'm a huge Tyranid fan myself, so I hope we do see them eventually. Um, you know, down the road. We're starting out with seven factions. That's a lot right from the start. I mean, the only other game I can think of that started with that many was... Uh, well, Call of Cthulhu started with seven in the core set. Netrunner started with seven in the core set, but I don't really use that as an argument because four of those were the corporation and three of them were the runners and you know they right. play yeah. differently. So yeah, it's asymmetric, whereas this is not asymmetric at all as far as we can tell for this game. It's strictly you know beat each other up and take the plans. Um, Tau and Eldar, again, sure, why not? They're both aliens. They'll fight together if they have to. The Eldar will pretty much use anyone to ensure the survival of their race if they can manipulate events somehow. Eldar and Dark Eldar. So this one's led to controversy. Now, without going too far into Eldar, Dark Eldar lore, because we're going to cover that in a future episode, um, like I said, they are the same race. They're These are the things as their cousins. They're cousins with very, very, very different philosophies as to how it comes to living life. But they're still cousins. They're still the same race. If it's a matter of, you know, allying with your cousin who you think's a total idiot and worships the devil, or, I don't know, being swallowed by the demons of chaos, I'm pretty sure the Eldar and Dark Eldar will both say, hey, good to see you, cuz. Let's go get those guys. So I personally don't see the controversy. Do you see it? I mean, you and I are both former 40K miniature game players. So that probably helps us see less controversy. But do you see the controversy in here? Or um, I mean, that's fine. I mean, I'm more a card game player. So, you know, if the mechanics work, I'm happy. Uh, as far as the fluff goes, you know, it's pretty much, you know, if you're being pushed by, you know, say a Tyranid invasion or an Orc invasion and you're outnumbered and, you know, you've been you're shoulder to shoulder with a Dark Eldar, you know, you're both going to shoot the same guys. Maybe we'll call it a, a draw after that and we'll both leave and we'll fight against each other another day. That, you know, it's strange things that have happened. So I'm, I'm not too, that one, that one bothers me less, should I say. I agree. That one definitely bothers me least out of some of the others. Um, that one actually bothers me not at all, um, just from knowing what I know of the fluff and the whatnot of the 40K universe. And, but you hit it on the nail on the head there. Stranger things have happened, especially in the 40K universe. There's some strange stuff in 40K sometimes. You know, they they really use the setting to its fullest. But you know, they've got well, ten thousand years of the Imperium to play with, and it's it's really interesting. Orcs and Imperial Guard. 
I don't have a problem with this because back during second edition, it's in the codexes a bit more than it has been. The various clans. There's an orc clan called the Blood Axes who will work as mercenaries for the Imperial governors of various planets. Because orcs don't care. Orcs just want to fight. Nine times out of ten, they're probably going to try and fight the humans. But if they can fight the humans and go fight somebody else, or you know, ally with the humans temporarily, they'll do that. Blood axes are also known for taking Imperial Guard equipment, and you know, painting it red because everybody knows red ones go faster, and using it. So the argument calls me made there that's not so much the orcs allying with the Imperial Guard as the orcs steal the Imperial Guard's tanks, paint them red, and then go daka 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 and blow up a bunch of Imperial Guard stuff with them. So you know, I think people are focusing too much on the word ally. And not seeing it as, you know, with the Eldar, Dark Eldar, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. If it's Eldar and Dark Eldar versus Chaos, the Eldar and Dark Eldar are going to stop shooting each other long enough to kill Chaos, and then go back to shooting each other. So, you know, warfare makes strange bedfellows. The one that I have some issue with, but again, it's like you said, it's a card game. They've got to have the mechanics. They couldn't leave a big gaping hole here, otherwise it won't be fair to these two factions. Dark Eldar and Chaos. Eldar and Dark Eldar being what they are and their history with Chaos and what destroyed their empire, largely self-inflicted. It's very, very less likely for Dark Eldar and Chaos to ally or see eye to eye on anything, and particularly when it comes to one of the the Chaos gods. Um, But again, I'm trying not to focus so much on the word ally as, you know, it could be that the Chaos are enslaving the Dark Eldar, or vice versa. You know, maybe they... I think it's more of a subversion rather than a, a, an alliance, yeah. as it were. Right, it's not so much, you know, hey, we're going to work together here, sign this treaty, yay, we're friends, here, have a drink. It's, I'm going to use this guy to go kill these guys and then totally stab them in the back and screw them over. Ha ha, take that. And that's what both Chaos and Dark Eldars would do. It's the same thing with Chaos and Orcs. Orcs, again want to fight. They can fight with Chaos to take on a big, huge space marine army. Great, they'll do it. And Chaos will say, we'll fight with them, and then we'll kill them because they're stupid orcs. So, I really think people should focus less on the word ally in a good way, and more you're strictly my ally because it's convenient that you are, and as soon as I can, I'm going to stab you in the back and run away. Yeah, but I think use is pretty a better work. You know, right. You're going to be using the, their units, however means you know you get you get to get there. Yeah. It's uh, you know, subversion, bribery, you know, just payment, like you say, with uh, being a uh, being a mercenary, just paying them. You know, doesn't matter as long as they're firing the guns away from you and not at you. What do you care? For sure. Exactly. Yeah. Definitely. So. Um... And again, it's not going to be all units because it does say uh, you can include any cards from your ally faction. You can only pick one. You can't pick both, so you can ally with both people on the side of you, except for loyal troops. <clears throat> so there's there's cards that will be designated as loyal, which we're assuming is another unique icon on the card, or it'll say loyal or something like that. My assumption is the blue icon that we can see on one or two of the cars, like on the Tau gun drones, it's got a blue icon, the same place that the signature squad yellow icon is. So I'm going to assume that's the loyal icon. So that means 
you wouldn't be able to use that card unless you're playing that as your main faction. So if you're playing the Space Marine, you can take the Tau gun drones. They just they won't work. So so hopefully they'll use that mechanic just to kind of prevent some of the weird combinations that you might have trouble with. Yeah, I think they're going to use that just to enforce stupid combinations that could be, you know, deemed broken. That and too. also, from, obviously, from a fluff sort of view, you know, if there's a guy who really does have a, he's really xenophobic and has a hate for orcs and he's an Imperial Guard, you know, maybe he doesn't want to lie with them because he'd rather lose or, you know, die on his own than fight with those. And again, that 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 does happen in the 40k universe. Yep, for sure. It's also interesting to see if they use it for like like you said, for fluff reasons with things like, like there's a chapter of Space Marines called the Black Templars who are very much like uh, the Knights Templar from the Crusades. They're very human-focused. They hate anything Xenos, which is what the Imperium calls aliens and all that stuff. So I'm interesting, you know, the Black Templar units maybe get a bit more loyal symbols so they're not being mixed with, you know, those dirty alien Tau. Uh, <laughs> Something like that. So it could be interesting. I, I like the alignment wheel. I think it's very unique. I can't think of any other card game where we're kind of kind of seeing this kind of a, a, a thing done to you know give you a certain allies. It's like warmer. It's, it's a very clever way of giving you more cards to use from from a you know from a, a limited pool. I think it's you know it, it balanced very well. I think it's clever to do it that way. Yeah. I like it. It's it's different from Warmer Invasion because Warmer Invasion you kind of have those two overarching alliances and you get order and destruction and you could basically use whatever cards and kind of mix them you know between those. So I li- I like this better that they chose not to go with order and destruction and you know good guys bad guys in a way because 40k I mean Warhammer and 40k are are very similar and you know 40k has also been called Warmer in space but there are differences in that in the 40k universe there's not really any good guys. It's all, like we said earlier, a matter of perspective. You know, I'm sure the Dark Elder consider themselves the good guys in some way, and you know, the Space Marines are you know the, the shining exemplars of humanity, helping to defend them from the foul treacheries of the universe, and blah blah blah. So, you know, I'm sure even some orcs think, hey, we're the good guys. We just want to fight. You know, what's you guys' problem? We're not nothing personal. <laughs> we just like to fight. So. I like that they chose not to kind of try and split the factions into two even sides because I really don't know how you would do that. They just kind of said, you know, these races have relations in some sort of a way so they can all ally together. Makes perfect sense to me. And like I said, it's a really clever mechanic card game-wise because it lets you open up your pool and give you more options without letting it get out of control. Yeah. I I think, like you said, they can control certain combinations with a loyal... Obviously, they can when making cards, they can balance it by who they can be um, allied with, and saying, "Well, maybe this card doesn't interact so well with this card, so uh, maybe we haven't met that loyal." Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I think it's a really elegant way to do it. To be fair. Yeah, I like it because it's like you said, it 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 makes it smaller pools that they have to balance. So you don't have to worry about Space Marine and Chaos card being in the same deck. Because there could be some combination that if it was allowed, is you know totally broken and ruins the entire game and you know your your, your cards will explode. So it's good that we'll never have to see something like that. I, I like it. Okay. I think it's very unique and it's definitely an interesting take on things. The, the other thing I also thought was the, the, the two factions that they didn't put on there, which was the, uh, the Tyranid and the Necrons. 
obviously how their their mindset works is they they don't like so much allying with anybody as far as far as I know. So they probably wouldn't fit into that um, this wheel because you know you can't ally with Tyranid because they'll just eat you. Um, and uh, Necrons will be trying to you know steal your electrical goods. So I, I can see why they didn't you know lead off with those two factions because it had been hard to uh, sort of shoehorn them into that 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 wheel as it were as well. So I, I've got a feeling that those two factions will be like standalone factions as it were. Yeah, I agree. I definitely think the uh, the, the Tyranids will be standalone because I can't think of anyone they've ever allied with in 40k history. The Necrons have apparently allied with the Blood Angels at one point, which boggles my mind, but that's a discussion for another day for sure. Um, So who knows what they'll do with them, but I know some people said, well, if that's the case, they could just change the wheel, but I'm like, well, why? Like, the, the factions they picked, I think, are fine. For initial ones, I know some people have said they don't want the Tau because apparently Tau aren't popular, which I strongly disagree with. The Tau are quite popular; they're just they're newer. Um, I mean, I yeah. really, really, really hope to see the Tyranids, and you know, if I have to, I'll write a few emails to for or FFG and say, you know, bring me the Tyranids. Where's my Tyranids? Where are the Tyranids? Stop emailing us. Okay. I, I think it makes sense because how they market, you know, FFG do it. You get the obviously the um, the box to do the deluxe. Now, if right. you're going to get Tyranids and they're going to be behind behind the uh, the current pool of cards, they could give them a box set of just Tyranids. Because they can't ally with anyone, they, may, they will have to give them extra cards to, to you know to, to balance them against everyone else. So I, th- I think that is a good way of doing it. Basically, here's your big box of Tyranids. You're now on equal amount of cards. You know, if you're going to play Dark Elder and take Eldar stuff you've got the same amount of cards as those two would have pulling together. So I think that's a good way to do it. Uh, you know, I really do. If that's the way they go, you know, I, I don't know any more than anyone else, but, you know, I feel that would be a, a good way to do with, uh, the Tyranids and the Necrons anyway. So I agree. And it's also very plausible based on um, the uh, what we've seen of uh, FFG products because, you know, in pretty much any of the other LCDs they make, they tend to go with either faction or dual faction boxes, uh, by and large. Like in Netrunner, they're doing one corp, one runner. In Game of Thrones, every deluxe expansion was like just one house. I can think of any that's... and you, you got cards for the others, but each box kind of focused on one of the, the six houses. Uh, Cthulhu, they're, they're, they're only releasing deluxe expansions now, and they are kind of... I think they're going in like a cycle where it's, you know, faction-based, faction-based, and then, you know, everybody gets stuff, and then faction, faction, everybody. And uh, Warhammer Invasion, they never really did any faction-based boxes, but they never really... They did a few deluxe for that before the the game, unfortunately, got cancelled. So, you know, who knows? Maybe they would have done something like that, too, where they go faction-based. So, I can definitely see them if they release anything new into 40k, such as the Tyranids, they would be initially introduced in a deluxe expansion, you know, maybe they'll get two or three Warlords as opposed to just one, because, you know, I would assume any deluxe expansions are, you know, I mean, we're looking at at least a year away, because, you know, we're going to have the first, we still got to wait for the core set, which, you know, probably 
August at Gen Con and then probably not, you know, worldwide till like September or something like that, just going by what happened with Netrunner when it came out around the same time. And, you know, then we'll have the first uh, cycle of uh, packs coming out. Uh, so, you know, there's another six months there, seven, eight months with the, the break they tend to take between releases. And, you know, we might see a deluxe expansion there or they might go right back into another cycle. It's if you play enough of the LCGs, which I know I think you and I, we've played or collected all of them at some point, you can kind of see what FFG does with their products. So I definitely think we'll see Deluxe in some form probably after whatever we get for the first expansion cycle. Or they might do what they did with Star Wars. Like Star Wars, they dropped the first Deluxe expansion, which added the the Scum and Villainy and the uh, Smuggling and Spies affiliation during the cycle. Like the first cycle wasn't even over yet, and we got the uh, the first big deluxe expansion for Star Wars. Uh, I think that might be a bit different, just because that was needed to flesh out those two factions yeah. that didn't get in the core set. Whereas this 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 could come out at any point. You, I think we could we could play this game three four years, not see Tyranids. Obviously, Tyranid fanboys would be you know where's my Tyranids, but the game would still function. Yeah. No one would be behind without this happening. So you know they could drop it in whenever they felt it was necessary to whenever they wanted to bring more you know if it was dying down let's put a bit more interest in here's some tyranids go and eat stuff sort of thing so yeah i think it could definitely work like that personally i hope you're wrong it's not three to four years being a tyranid fanboy myself <laughs> <laughs> no I can't, I can't see it you know people are gonna buy you you know take my money sort of uh memes flying everywhere but that's, that's gonna be how everyone has their favorite factions and i don't think I mean, I, I only dislike orcs out of that entire wheel, and also I like Tyranids and Necrons, so, you know, everyone's going to want to be buying Tyranids anyway, I think, so. Yeah, I think Tyranids, will be, if we ever see them, will be quite popular, because they tend to be one of those races that a lot of people seem to like, uh, yeah. so it'll be interesting. All right, so there's our discussion on the alignment wheel. So I think we've kind of gone on for long enough. So now, just real brief, kind of our, our, our plans for the show. Obviously, right now, um, we don't know too, too much about the game. We're still very new, just introduced. So, you know, that's why. So we're probably going to only release episodes every three to four weeks. I'm, I'm going to say three, but I'm going to also say four, just in case, you know, life gets in the way. Uh, I know we'd initially anticipated recording this a while ago, but I was uh, super sick, and then I had both my kids' birthdays in a weekend, so it's just, you know, life tends to get in the way, that silly real world. Um, so we'll probably be back in, I'm thinking, three weeks, you know, uh, close to the end of April, might be beginning of May when it gets reduced, depending on how long it takes me to edit the next episode. And what we're going to do in the short term for the the the, the less regular episodes we're going to focus a bit on the the fluff and the stuff for 40k when i say fluff i of course mean the, the setting and the background of the game for anyone who's not aware of that particular slang term um i think we'll try and do it in groups uh, as much as we can so you know we'll do like imperial guard and space range and eldar and dark eldar kind of together and then you know maybe uh, tau and orc or chaos or something chaos might be able to be do by itself because chaos can be a bit bigger just because there's there's four factions within chaos because a lot of well actually i guess all these various races have their own factions within them kind of um so we're going to do that we're going to try and do like you know general 
40k, you know, this is the setting, this is the universe, and you'll go into each of the various factions, because I've had multiple people either message me or just mention in various threads I've read, you know, I don't know much about 40k, what can people tell me? So, you know, we're going to use this podcast as a vehicle in the first month, two months while we wait for the game's previews to really kick in prior to release to kind of give you guys that overview of, you know, the 40k universe and stuff. So, you know, people will understand, you know, this and stuff like that. And, you know, we'll point you to some things that maybe will get you wanting to, you know, learn more yourself. Uh, There's all kinds of ways to learn about 40k. I mean, 40k has been around for such a long time now that there's, there's multiple websites uh, that the two I like the best, which I'll be sure to include in the show notes and also on uh, our Facebook page is a, there's the warmer 40k wikia. And there's also a, website called the lexicanum uh so those are both great websites they're basically encyclopedias of 40k and they kind of go into a lot of stuff for you there um and then once the previews start uh whenever that is because fog always does previews prior to releases of things where they go into the game mechanics show cards they'll probably do like you know, here's this week's Imperial Guard faction overview. You know, here's a bunch of cards for Imperial Guard, stuff like that. We're going to, of course, cover all that stuff, which will give us a bit more. Hopefully, uh, prior to release, uh, so fingers crossed, toes crossed for like maybe July, we'll see the rule book for this game. Uh, they usually try to release the rules in PDF on the, their website prior to a game's release. It's usually a few weeks early. Um, so, you know, that'll be good for those of us sitting at home and for anyone who's going to Gen Con and plans to play any 40K, assuming they can pick it up there, uh, it'll be good that you get get your hands on a PDF copy of the rulebook and you'll give it a, a read over before you get the real thing in your hands. So that'll be exciting. Uh, we'll definitely do an episode around the release of the rulebook, of course, kind of covering the game and what we know and whatnot. Um, as for our show itself... Right now, it's, of course, myself and Nate. It'll always be some combination of us here. Um, I have had other interested parties message me about the podcast who may or may not join us in one, two, or, you know, every episode. I don't, I'm not going to say one way or the other. Um, you know, so if, you, if you're interested, if you got stuff to say, if you got stuff you want to talk about, or, you know, if you want to join us for one of our, our, our fluff episodes, because, you know, you're a huge Chaos fanboy or Imperial Guard fanboy or something, you know what? message us and you know i'll find a way to arrange a call and we can all get together on skype and sit there and chat about whichever factions we're covering that week uh nate you got anything you want to say i may be ill for the orc fluff chat um just putting that out okay there. noted so I'll, I'll need a co-host or i'll be talking to myself for the the orc chat i'll, I'll ask my wife she'll she'll love that she'll be like what are you I, oh uh, Rick, richard, orc- richard will sit in for um right, richard just go right. Richard is our, our mutual friend Skelton on the, the FFG yeah. board and the card game boards. Um, if you want to get a hold of us, uh, I am on every forum you can think of as uh, Toctamish is my username. That's spelled T-O-Q-T-A-M-I-S-H. It's Mongolian. It's a holdover from my days when I used to play in the Society of Creative Anachronism, and it's just kind of stuck. So I use it on every board. It's never taken, thankfully, so I can usually get my own username. Um, you can message me. Uh, I'm most active on Card Game DB. 
I do also go on the FFG boards, but I tend to be more frequent on CardGameDB, so you'll definitely be able to get a hold of me there. Nate, your username is just Nate, isn't it? It's uh, Nate Holmes. I am not inventive, um, and yeah, I can't forget it, so, you know. Um, uh, you can usually find me on CardGameDB. I do lurk on um, BGG, uh, Board Game Geek, but mostly just in the Netrunner forums. So, uh, yeah, if you want to hit me up, just send me a message on CardGameDB. That's probably the best way to get in touch with me. Yeah, for sure. And me too. And we also have a shiny Facebook page, because what's a podcast without being on Facebook? Uh, it's quite easy to find. All you got to do is search for Adeptus Podcastus, exactly the name of the show. Um, we're already up to 18 people, considering we haven't even released our first episode yet. Uh, obviously, we've got yourself, myself and you and our friend Richard, and uh, we've also got uh, Nate French from FFG has joined us on the, the podcast page. So that's exciting to see You know, one of the designers right there, hopefully... Uh, listening to us and giggling, thinking, ha-ha, wait till you guys see what's coming out. Um, <laughs> just a little future hint of something else that you might see. Um, I have been in contact with FFG to see about getting uh, previews or something like that uh, once the preview cycle started, and uh, so that's something we might be able to get. We'll maybe get you know, our own unique little card we get to spoil uh, down the road, so that should be exciting. Uh Depending on what we get to see, uh, like I said, that won't start until the game's much closer to officially launching. So, uh, you know, that's not going to be anytime soon. So, I think that's going to be a wrap. So, in the meantime, may the Emperor protect you. <laughs>